everyone. Welcome back to the Protagoras podcast. I'm your host, Chloe. And I'm your other host, Alejandra. So Chloe, which one of Protagoras' claims are we going to look at today? Great question, Alejandra. So today we're going to be discussing one of Protagoras' many claims on goodness. More specifically, what Protagoras meant when he said that goodness can be taught. In fact, to help us out, we've brought in two very special guests to help us discuss this. We have Simi, a Disney expert, and Darla, who's a professor on religion, who is going to discuss the laws of Satanism. Darla and Simi, thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for having us. Yeah, I'm excited. So Simi, we'll start off with you first. As a Disney expert, what is a well-known movie that you think relates to Protagoras' claim that goodness can be taught? Well, that's a great question. So I think an example can be found in one of the most well-known Disney movies, which is Beauty and the Beast. Um, in this popular children's movie, the protagonist, Belle, takes the place of her kidnapped father. And to her initial horror, her captor was a ferocious beast. Now, many of us know that the beast used to be a naturally kind man until he was cursed to become a beast. As the song Something There, written by Howard Ashman and Alan Menken states, the beast was mean and coarse and unrefined. That was until his environment changed, essentially until Belle came along. Can we just take a second to acknowledge that Simi just got the song name and the writers out of like thin air? You're a legit expert. <laughs> Thank you so much. It's been my dream to become a Disney expert. So that means a lot. Yeah, you definitely know what you're talking about. So what you're saying is that if you look a little bit closer into how the beast changed, you can see that he begins to get kinder when he's surrounded by someone that, you know, essentially embodies goodness, which is Val. Would you agree that it was a change in his environment that helped him, you know, improve? Well, yeah, it's definitely no secret that the beast became a better person under the influence and in the presence of Val. I think of it in this way. Um, you could justify Protagoras' claims that goodness can be taught, but this is a little bit more of a general assumption. I think we should go a little deeper to see the root cause, the more unconventional cause of the change in the beast. By providing care um, for the beast, Belle, who saw no flaw in the beast's appearance um, or behavior, changed the beast's habitat. Don't forget that the beast's biggest insecurity was the fact that he looked like, well, a beast. Makes sense. I'd be a little bitter too. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think we might all be. But um, I think the most important takeaway here is when Belle changed the beast's outlook, he realized that there is more, that he could be more than his looks. Remember, Belle never explicitly mentioned his looks. So clearly it was a change in the environment that triggered the beast's restoration to his naturally good self. And um, of course, if I go back to the song Something There, it states, now the beast is dear and so unsure. I wonder why I didn't see it there before. So from what I understand, Disney is portraying an unconventional way of teaching and lecturing goodness that Protagoras speaks of. Um, and while you can generally say that yes, goodness can be taught, it seems that a change in environment more deeply does the trick. Yeah, I definitely agree with that point. I think that Protagoras' perspective focused a little bit more on, you know, the conventional side of teaching that Simi mentioned, like, you know, lecturing people about goodness. But Beauty and the Beast seems to hint that the primary ability to teach centers on one person's surroundings, which I think is pretty fascinating. Um, of course, Protagoras' claim that goodness can be taught still holds true. Uh, Simi, are there any other Disney movies that portray this as well? Yes, of course, there are so many, but another movie that immediately comes to my mind is Mulan. Um, as many know, in the classic story of Mulan, 
The title character Mulan sacrifices her safety by taking the position of her father in the war. Uh, many of us know that Mulan is a naturally good and selfless individual. But in her quiet town, Mulan wasn't exactly known for her grace. Actually, she was perceived as quite a mischievous and almost a daredevil character by the leaders of her society, who unfortunately often combined the women. Um, as Mulan traveled into the battlefield, the audience could see her character changed as her environment or habitat changed, similar to how Beast changed when Belle arrived at the castle. Mm-hmm. Oh, if I can ask something. So how did Mulan actually end up becoming better? Because she is technically breaking the original rules of her village, right, in the army? Yes, well, I totally see your point. Um, Mulan was a little troublemaker in her village. Um, But I guess the simple answer I can respond to this question with is some rules are just meant to be broken. And in this case, when Mulan found herself in a habitat that she was more comfortable in, the the effects reaped into the actual society of China itself. Don't forget that Mulan changed the face of a whole empire by demonstrating her goodness in a form that is natural to her. They accepted her as a powerful asset to the military, regardless of her gender. Okay, so Simi, what you're trying to say is that Mulan, through Mulan being placed, like, you know, in an environment that truly fit her, she became empowered to do things, you know, that weren't stereotypically good, but later on changed the way that things worked in more of a positive light. So her habitat, or more specifically being placed in the right one, enabled her to teach, you know, the entirety of China about goodness, which, you know, obviously goes back to Protagoras and how goodness can be taught. That's really fascinating, Simi. Thank you so much for giving us some insight. Now we're going to shift away a little bit from the sparkly magic of Disney to something a little bit darker. We're going to hear from Darla, who will discuss the laws of Satanism. We hear that while the name itself is pretty stereotypically dark and malicious, it's actually a lot less concerning than what you might think. So Darla, what's your take? Hey, Yeah, uh, I think I should preface with a little explanation about, you know, modern Satanism, because obviously you'd hear that and be like, what? What is this? The contents of Satanism, or at least the most popular branch of it, isn't about blood sacrifices or, you know, stereotypically satanic things. Um, They're basically just normal morals mixed in with some more extreme egoism, I'd say. I mean, they're the 11 satanic rules of the earth, which are pretty hilarious. So definitely read the full list on your own if you're interested. We have stuff like don't harm little children and, you know, don't kill non-human animals unless you're attacked or for food. Yeah, that doesn't seem really bad. Yeah, it doesn't seem very satanic. (laughs) Yeah, it becomes more behaviorally specific things. So like, quote, when in another's lair, show him respect or else do not go there. Still pretty standard overall, but then you have the ones like, if a guest in your lair annoys you, treat him cruelly and without mercy. (laughs) (laughs) It definitely does flip both ways. So would you agree that they're semi-ethical until they're not, for instance, Commandment 11, if someone bothers you, destroy them? (laughs) Well, I don't think it's fair of me to say like one thing is ethical and one thing is not, you know? I have my own standards, of course, for what's ethical, but that's me as an individual. So while I can say I personally don't agree, (laughs) what we have here is a group of individuals who've essentially decided, like, this is my character, these are my morals, and I'd like to act this way and be backed by this specific code that I choose and these rules, and I get to, you know, take on this religion because I think it's me. 
Okay, that ma- that makes sense. Um, I actually think Mulan would, you know, maybe appreciate a bit of modern Zainism in that she was always an individual who didn't quite fit her environment, her habitat, right? The moment she got a taste of empowerment from the army, she literally reshaped all of China <laughs> so that it would match her sense of goodness. So I think that she's totally an example of what you guys are talking about. Um, I'd say it's this more literal application of these points about goodness, like if our environment shapes our own ideas of goodness, we'll probably be under less mental strain if those teachings already match up to our own personal selves. Like if I am in an environment that is trying to change me drastically from where I start, it's probably going to lead to some sort of character development. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. So kind of like how Val gave the beast the care he needed to grow into his full good, quote unquote, good self. Yeah, exactly. Wow, that's a really interesting parallel. You know, I think that what we've gathered from here today is that teaching goodness, as Protagoras so claims, seems most effective through the influence of environment. Yeah, and I think we've been able to see that thanks to Daryl and Simi today. Guys, thanks so much for coming, both of you. Thanks so much for having us. Yeah, of course. Thank you. Well, that's all the time we have for today, but definitely stay tuned for our next episode. When we come back next week, we're going to be discussing another one of Protagoras' claims, are all virtues equivalent? We'll see you then. Bye, everyone.